Christ is risen. We are, we did finish our section last week, so we're able to jump into chapter 3. And we're going to take a look at the first seven verses today. Anything that you have before we get into this section? set up there. Are we ready? All right, let's look at verses 1 through 7. Let's read those together here before we begin digging in. So, starting at verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your ordain be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. All right. Um, This is a little bit of a challenging section in more ways than one. Um, The the grammar, the Greek grammar behind this is challenging in some ways. It's one of these sections that critical scholars who don't necessarily believe that the Bible is true, um, they'll they'll claim that because of the difficulty of the Greek, it, it proves that Peter didn't write it because Peter was a fisherman, and, you know, like, and they have this conclusion that fishermen couldn't write like this or write or read at all. And so then they conclude because it uses a challenging grammar and syntax that, that Peter didn't write it. And then, of course, the content, um, especially to our uh, modern ears, might be a challenge. Of course, it's certainly not the only place that the Scripture teaches the same thing. Um, but we want to notice that he's in this section where he had been using, and we had pointed this out before, this, this term be subject to or be submissive to, submit to. We've seen that already twice, right? We saw that uh, way up here with being subject to, the, to every human institution first. And remember, when we said human institution, we're not talking about something instituted by humans, but for humans. It's a human institution that it's, it's, it's made up of people. It's, it's people relating to other people. In, in this case, it's the government. And then, be subject servants to masters. And remember when we said the servants, those were like household servants. So he's, he's within the, talking within the, like the home. And now, same thing, likewise, Wives, be subject to your own husbands. All right. Um, so that's to come to the first way 
Um, I should have updated that. So in, when number one says, what does Peter mean with the words in the same way? That's from the NIV. It says in the same way. ESV says likewise. Okay. What does he mean by that? Like what? Likewise, wives, be submit. Like what? Okay, that, that will be true. Uh, the, Paul writes that in Ephesians, right? And that's, so that's, that's there. In, in Peter's letter, what's he referring to? Um, when when he, say, he says, likewise, I maybe gave it away a little bit when I just told you about, reminded you about the things that were previous. So, likewise, like slaves to their masters, like individuals to their to earthly authorities, right, in this same way. So what's the... So this is not the only place where this kind of relationship exists. Um, we might call it, we might call it a, a hierarchy. Of course, we're not going from greatest, from like, you know, like who is the highest authority? Because we already we said, you know, there's, there's different levels. There's different kinds of submission for different, there's slaves and masters within a home. There's to the king or to the authority or to those that he sends. It's, it's order. In, in life, in relationship with other people, um, which, which is a part of kind of the Bible's teaching on vocation, that in vocation we have, there is order. So our relationship, our individual status before God, there isn't that. There's no hierarchy in our life that, that it's God then to say, I don't know, <laughs> the, the, the king or the president and then he, or the pope, and then he sends his... You know, then it comes down to the bishops or the pastor, and then it's to you, and then it's to... It's not... In our, we are saints before God equal. There's no, there's no greater... Or there's, no, there's no hierarchy there. But in our relationship with others, there is by necessity. In hum, it's in both human order, but it's, but it's a God's order for this, that there would be such order. Uh, and that does not... That order like this, just like this subjection here, it does not imply any kind of inferiority or superiority on the part of, in the order. The order is for order. It is for care, um, not for like better than worse than. Okay. Uh, so in the same way, so as subjects uh, submit to masters. Um, I think it's helpful when you have that section right before that with the servants and the masters. And he makes this point, he says, even if they're evil, some of them are good, right? But even if they're evil, you, you still, in being subjected to them, your behavior toward them is a good thing. Even if you suffer for doing good, doing good is doing good, <laughs> right? And by doing good, you might, there might be a result. He's going to have the same thing here. So, um, in every relationship, in every kind of one of these, there is, how does a Christian behave when not everyone around him believes the same things? So what if your master is rotten and doesn't care for you and serve you out of love? Uh, what, if, what if he doesn't reciprocate your hard work? How do you, how do you live in that situation? And here too, now he's going to do this to the wives. Um, and he's got something in particular in mind, a certain kind of relationship uh, of husbands and wives. Uh, 
So likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. I want to make a, a note about the word, the terms, wives and husbands. In every translation um, that I've come across, I've seen in English, always does translate this wives and husbands. But the Greek word here um, for husbands and wives is exactly the same word as women and men. So hypothetically, could translate likewise women, be subject to your own men. To, to the, so when we, there, there's no distinction of the words in the, the word itself. What we come to understand in, in, from the context, we understand what this, in English, we have separate words for this. Um, how do we do that? How can you tell in this, this verse here in particular? What, what's a clue? That he's not just addressing all women. Um, so he's not saying women be subject to men in general. How do we, what's the clue in the verse? Yeah. And we do that in English though too. You know, someone says my man. That's a different thing than just a man, right? Or my woman. No, sometimes we kind of, we, we, might, we might push back against it. But that's essentially what he says here, right? Um, and when I say mine, our minds think like, oh, that sounds like, um, you know, like patriarchal or kind of like ownership. Like that's what we mean. Like this person is my slave. We don't, we're just, what is he saying to your husband? This, this is yours. Not like you own him, but that he belongs to you, right? That is a, a thing. And so it's not, you know, this idea that you've maybe ever heard of people like, um, uh, criticizing the custom of, of fathers giving away their daughters in marriage as if like the father owns them in their chattel and they're in their and you know this is a transaction and kind of think um, instead of I think what many people just simply understand that this man this father has been entrusted with the care of the, his daughter and now he hands this care off to another pool that it's it, it is his daughter. It's not, she's not a piece of cattle. She's not, a, like, ownership. But that's a very important part to be someone else's. That's part of God's order for our relating to each other, that we would belong to each other. Right? Not in, the, like, a slavery type of ownership. Like, like we kind of, we, we, we suck all the joy out of it when we, when we think of it that way. But this, this care and, and belonging to one another... Um, what a delightful thing. But um, I think there might be something, or something for us to contemplate at least, that the word for wife and woman is the same. Um, in Greek, you, you would recognize it. Um, uh, the, the word in Greek is gine. So that G, um, it's U-R-Y-N prefix, like a gynecologist or something like that. That's the root of that. So it's the woman word. Um, and that aner or andros uh, in Greek uh, is the word for man or husband. Uh, that what's and I think we can take this all the way back to creation. That that man and woman, like what is, and we're wrestling with that as kind of in our in our world today. It's just what is a man? What is a woman? And that's kind of brought to us a little bit by people who are similarly confused about it and then, and then proposing ideas that can say it means nothing, right? 
either that it doesn't have anything to do with the physical body, or that it doesn't have any. I think for a long time, we've said that being like the, the, the being of a man doesn't really have anything intrinsically to being a husband. If someone's a husband, well, that's great. That's you know maybe maybe that's for them. Um, if you go to Genesis to, to the creation of Adam and Eve, um, God makes Adam, and then says it's not good for the man to be alone, and then he makes the the, the woman. Uh, not to be a, a free agent in society. She is created to be her, his wife. Um, we'll recognize that not everyone will be fit for or, or be able to, to be, be married. Not every woman will be a wife. Not every man will be a husband. Um, but yet in creation, the, you know, and, and I think we would want, also want to say, like, so someone who isn't a man, that doesn't make him less of a man. Or his, who isn't a husband, who doesn't get married, doesn't make him less of a man necessarily. But that God did order things that men would be husbands and women would be wives. It's part of, and so, like, that's part of the, the character. And if you, it, when you dissociate those things, then I think that's partly why we run into issues of confusion because we don't know what it means. You know, if we don't know what it means to be a woman and what, what therefore, what it means to be a wife. Um, so, be subject to your own husbands. I could maybe say something. Well, it, it's in the question, number three. How does a Christian wife deal with an unbelieving husband? So, first, he has a, a general statement. Be subject to your husbands, right? That can apply to everyone. But then, even if... Kind of like with the servants, he says, not only with their, if the masters are good and gentle, um, there are some that are like that, but even if they're not, even if they, they punish you for, for doing what's right. And then in this case, even if some do not obey the word, um, then, then he has a, a result that might, that would be a, a goal or uh, an end. Um, even if some do not be, obey the word. And that's why we I, you know, put there, with an unbelieving husband. I'm sort of assuming that that's what that's referring to, that those who, a husband who doesn't obey the word, um, that he doesn't believe it. So what is she to do? How does a Christian wife deal with an unbelieving husband? She does exactly what I'll do otherwise do. <laughs> Right? So it's to say that this does not exclude, does not, so it's not, well, if he doesn't obey the word, then, I, then I'm out. Right? Either out of the marriage or... Oh, I think I just went to sleep. I didn't. You didn't. <laughs> I just heard something click. I mean, did you hear that too? Like right about the same time? It seemed... I don't know. Maybe that's my imagination. I was afraid of like we were going to be out of power, which we could do. We could do it without power. <laughs> We could even do church without power if we needed to, right? We, should, we could sing a cappella. We had a piano. We got a piano that doesn't require electricity. We could do it. Um, so to get out of marriage, or that means I don't have to act in the same way to them. Um, which then backs up. So it just says, well, how does a, a, a wife deal with an unbelieving husband? Well, the same way she would with a believing husband, which is... Be subject. So we should maybe say something about this word. And this comes up, it came up in those previous, and I don't think I made a big deal about it. Um, but the term subject to be subject, being subject to, um, is 
it means just to put, place oneself under, to place oneself under authority, not under in the, you know, you know that's what we sort of think immediately. Think of um, oppression, the subjection or submission. Um, I, I never saw it because I, I never watched wrestling when I was, I mean, I, I knew it existed and then Hulk Hogan and, you know, yeah. But some wrestler, I don't know who it was, maybe, maybe some of you know this, <laughs> had something that they called it his submission hold, apparently. You know, some kind of like, you know, headlock or something. So, but it was termed the submission hold, which, you know, rendered his opponent. It was Macho Man Randy Savage. <laughs> I knew someone would come through. So, so in your mind, you, you hear that, and you hear submission, and you say, strong man making someone else powerless and submit, right? That's not, that's not the concept here. Um, and especially when this term is used, it is always spoken, it is addressed to the one who is to submit. It is never make someone submit to you. So you notice this, this subject language is not in the, in the paragraph addressed to the husband. That's not his duty. He is not to ensure that she submits to him. Sometimes that's the way it comes across. Uh, or people will take out of it. And, you know, it's kind of like, you know, husbands, this isn't your paragraph. Same thing in Ephesians, where it is, uh, uh, husbands love your wives, wives submit to your husbands. Same, same language. Um, but there's a reason why this is the group that's addressed here. Because they, they do this. This is, an act of, this is an act of a woman towards a man. This is not the act of a man to subject the women to him. Right? This is a, it's a, we'll often say, a willing submission. Right? Um, but, it, but it reflects then God's, God's order for this, this ordering this relationship. Uh, be subject to. So it's not an evil word. Um, there is a result that he has in mind with the, the, the man, the husband, who doesn't obey the word, that he might be won over. Gain. Uh, Paul uses this word in other places. That, they, that, that he might come to obey the word without a word. Of course, what we're not saying by this, what Peter's not saying by this, is as if he is going to be converted um, to the Christian faith without a word. Because what does the scripture teach? Faith comes by hearing. The only way that, that, that God works faith is through the means of grace, through word. But what is she doing without a word? Um, she's living, which would be her being subject to, and, and he describes this in various ways. It's going to go down here when he's talking about her adornment. But here, just simply by her conduct. Her behavior, your respectful and pure conduct, her way of life, which is kind of a, I think, a summary of what is part of this. Um, it is not, um, it's not like a, a lowering of oneself, degrading sort of slavery to someone else, but it's, it is a, it, it's godly living essentially, isn't it? The same thing that he says to, we've talked about that above, that this uh, exhortations that Peter gives to, how do you live among people who don't get what it is to be a Christian? It's this theme throughout this whole thing. Even, when it, even if it's the husband, 
of someone that close to you, you do the same thing. Yeah. So that they wouldn't be able to, you don't, you don't, you don't retaliate with the evil for evil like we had before. Um, but of living. There's not a guarantee that this is going to happen. Um, Paul talks about that uh, in, I think it's 1 Corinthians 7. Um, he talks about, also about unbelieving husbands. And I think mostly in, in this time, I, I think, what you were, Paul, Peter would, and they would be dealing with would be Christian or women who become Christians, but their husbands don't, maybe yet, that they are, are, are converted first. Um, I, I don't necessarily think this is Christian women marrying pagan men, generally. Because uh, I think you have other scriptures that would lead Christians to, to you know, like, do not be unequally yoked. That they would apply that and want to share that with some of the... These women aren't necessarily going into this thinking that they're going to convert them by marrying them. I, I don't think that's in, in play. Of course, that could happen. I mean, that Christian could potentially marry someone. Uh, an unbeliever, but probably in, in these cases it's someone who became a Christian while they were already married to this person. That's, that's, my, that's what I've, I've read and, and what I can gather about these situations. But it's mentioned twice. Um, and so in, in really your respectful and pure conduct, your behavior isn't technically converting them, wouldn't be winning them over but that it doesn't provide, it, it allows maybe a curiosity. It sets a good example that they see this um, and that we had that earlier, that they may see, that the unbelievers may see your good deeds and glorify God in heaven. Then he gets kind of to some, a little bit more specific in verse three, or maybe it's an example or a, um, application of this. Verse 3, do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. Uh, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is in, which in God's sight is very precious. Um, so what's he, what's he forbidding there? Number four asks, what does Peter forbid concerning the outward appearance of Christian women? question would be, you know, like, the, it, does Peter say, you know what, you really shouldn't braid hair or wear gold jewelry, I'm not going you know, to look around to see what, or uh, is that a prohibition against those? No. Um, how, how, can we, how can we be sure of that, make sure that we want, uh, so what's the, what's the command? Do not let your adorning be external. Does that mean, though, that no external, no adornment should be external? It's don't let your adornment. Um, this word, this adorning, is an interesting word. Um, the word is degree. Cosmos. Um, you gotta know if you've ever heard someone really did, like talk about the, the, the whole cosmos. It's, it's the word for the world. For everything in it, but it's also a word for, well, you have a, 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 a derivative or a, a root there, cosmetics, that's it's the same word, 
cosmos. So that's the word he uses here for your adorning. Your, um, so what's the connection? I'm not, and I'm not exactly sure. That's just multiple meanings of the same word in Greek. Um, and the first meaning is uh, like this adornment here. I can show you. I'm, I'm looking up the, the Greek word over here on the left. I click it, it brings me up. Uh, uh, yeah. So the first meaning is that which serves to beautify through decoration, adornment, or ordaining. Um, the second meaning is a condition of orderliness or orderly arrangement. And then the third meaning is everything in the world. <laughs> um, it's kind of like the, the order of things, the, the way the, the world is constructed, the whole, the whole thing. And I, I'm not entirely sure the connection between that first meaning of adorning and the sum total of everything here and now the world, the order of your universe. Um, but he says, so don't let your, your cosmos, your cosmetics, be external. So cosmetics, do you know, what is that? What is that? It's you know, decoration. It's, it's, it's um, sometimes a covering up, we think of. Um, but the, 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 what you put on to... Although, I mean, it's maybe sometimes have this connection. Like, if someone describes, like, putting their makeup on, I'm putting my face on. Like, I'm putting myself into order. Maybe that's part of the, the idea. I'm not sure. Um, but as an example of external or de- uh, adorning, he talks about the braiding of hair, putting on a gold jewelry, or clothing you wear. So, if this was a, a prohibition against braiding of hair, it would also be a, a prohibition against putting clothes on. <laughs> or does it mean I don't think he's saying that they should be rags, you know, um, or that you know, well, you can have gold, you can have jewelry, but it just can't be gold. You know, you have to use like um, fake gold, and um, you know, you can't use anything nice, or it can't be an external adorning at all. But don't let that be your adornment, or maybe say your chief adornment. You like that's the thing that makes. You know, you pretend like that's you, and that's what makes you, I don't know, valuable or something like that. But what instead? What, what should be the adornment? More than this, not saying don't do this, just kind of funny because, like, you know, some of the things. Yeah, I like gold jewelry. I don't know. Or, or I mean, certainly, though, we, I, I think we can understand all of these, though, that someone could do them that sort of external adornment trying to make up for something or trying to, you know, and for that to, you put on a show, you put on a face, you put on a, you know, to, to, to present yourself in a certain way as if this is who you are. Um, yeah, but if that's not who you are, right? So, so let the adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. And you've seen people who try to, um, I mean, you, the, the kind of horror things like with these like actresses or someone who, you know, like their, their beauty, their attraction when they were 20 years old was their, their brand, their, their thing. And they do not age well sometimes, you know, and they can try to do the surgeries or they can try to do everything to try to, to hide that. Um, they're, they're, that's a perishing. Um, but the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit um, to say that this is this is um, my identity. Um, what I wonder, though, what I would kind of 
would be worth meditating on and thinking about is how this how this connects to the, the previous thing about your respectful and pure conduct. Um, so this would be a, a negative example, don't do this. Um, don't, don't pretend like this is the way that you're going to fit in, in um, you know, among people, you know, an unbelieving husband or, or anyone that I'm going to, you know, see my, my face as these external things. Um, I think probably this as an example of, sorry, um, as an example of this pure, respectful and pure conduct. And, and, a, and a wholesome, be a Christian is what it is. And that, that, that your, your, your value, your worth, your, um, you know, what's going to win people and is not what's on the outside but on the inside. Does that make sense? I think it's a beautiful one. The imperishable is kind of an important piece there because, like you had said, you had said it too, but it goes away. It's, God's not going to take the prettiest person to heaven first. I mean, that's not what's gonna, yeah. how it's going to work. So. I mean, and then that also just on a, on a human level, like allows someone to live. When you, if you live, if you put so much stock in the external... But then that goes away. I mean, you run into people. Like, like they, they, you know, sometimes with men, it's like their strength and their independence, and they like want to do this, and then they, they, they don't know what to do, and they get old and they can't do it anymore because they had so much. I, I could always do that, and they don't. They, maybe that's a, on the other side, the flip side of a coin, like of not. In, in, imperishable beauty or imperishable strength like to the, the things that will last into age or into the, 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 the age to come too and then to, then this has this God it's got God got stamp on it that this is precious in God's sight um, this imperishable beauty God loves what is beautiful um, although I like this. I like the way that they translated it, but like the, the term beauty isn't actually in the Greek. Um, unfortunately, it's it's trying to reflect this word, I think. It's trying, this this shows up on both sides of it, and it's in this part of the sentence doesn't have another word for it, but it's referring to this. Um, and I think that's what it is talking about. Um, but that's a, that's a thing that's worth uh, thinking about too. God, God and beauty. God is the creator of beauty. Um, and we, we always think that beauty, we say beauty is in the eye of the beholder. But then it's not a creation of God. If, if um, Just like truth, truth is something that, that, God, that belongs to God. Not everyone recognizes truth. And even today, especially like people will think that you can have your truth and I'll have my truth. And we say, well, no, that's not, that's not right. Um, because all truth is God's truth. If it's true, it's God's truth. Um, I think the same thing is true of beauty. It's not the same thing as taste. Like someone appreciates the color blue and some people appreciate the color red. Um, you know, some people like blondes and some people like brunettes. It's not this, that's, that, that beauty is something that God has put into our world and we either recognize it or we don't. 
and there's a beauty to blondes and brunettes, and there's a beauty to red and to whatever they call it in the same flute before, um, right? That that's God's created, and, and this beauty of a person is also something that God has created. It's not something that we can create and put onto ourselves. So, that well, that kind of gets towards the, um, the next question. I think we kind of covered it. What makes the most beautiful wife or woman? We could, we could go either way there, but in this context, he's talking about wives. Although, see like here, for in this is how the holy women who hoped, um, but you could just as well say um, holy wives. It's the same word, like I said before. It's just, I think, because here he's kind of talking more in general. Um, but, again, there it says women and then their own husbands. So, they are also wives. Uh, what makes a beautiful... It's, it's that, right? It's this beautiful, um, all right, respectful and pure conduct. It's a hidden person of the heart. Just not to say that those are in contradiction to it, not just because someone is beautiful on the inside doesn't mean they can't be beautiful on the outside, but I think a lot of times the way that someone recognizes a, 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 you recognize an interior beauty and then and also are able to see the external beauty too, not just in terms of what someone else's standards, you know, we have, we hear about that sometimes, you know, like these standards of beauty that change from age to age, and so then you're like, oh, it's because we, we you know, value you know, this shape of a person or these features. Um, that's not what the beauty is. And that's helpful by recognizing what the, a different, a deeper beauty. Um, then, but then how does that connect in, in number six? How does that connect to the inner or to the godly submission? So and he does that in verse five and six with this example of Sarah and Abraham See, so for, so he's giving an example, for this is how the holy women who hoped in God, believing women, used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. So that's how he's, he's, he's drawing that conclusion. Um, and from this biblical example, that they had this adornment by submitting to their husbands. And then gives the example of Sarah, obeying Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So first, what is, how does this adornment result in a godly submission? I guess I, I, I'm not sure the clearest way to, to express the, that, the answer to that or what, what that is. But they're related. He's making this case. That they adorn themselves by submitting. That that submission is a beautiful thing. That's an interior beauty interiorly beautiful thing that, 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 that by being by being the wife um, again which is not pushed on them it's not help holding them down it's their the way that they um, treat their husband uh, is they, they, that, that's an adornment that's a jewel in her crown, is this kind of behavior, which then the unbelieving husband may see and may be won over by. 
I mean, that's certainly not. So, so there's so much of this, so much of this section that we look at today. And, you know, maybe, I hope, Christians, we, we look at this and say, well, yes, I recognize this. This is the teaching of Scripture, and I recognize it as a beautiful thing, as God has ordained. We never live it all perfectly, but recognize it as, as good. And just, But I, I we're not, wouldn't be mistaken, right, if we said, in the, in the world at large, this is this is heresy, probably. Is it? Would you would you say this is? People would balk at this in general. Um, so how do you, how does one you know how do you live in that world? Um, the first place is wives. <laughs> so so we don't we we're not going to be called on to fix the world. And even here, the wives are not called on to fix their husbands. They're called to be wives. Which is the beauty, of, one of the beauties of vocation, is that it's not, it has, it has borders. That says I'm not responsible for someone else's calling. I'm not responsible for fixing them. I'm responsible for being who God has called me to be. Um, and, it, and, and I do that regardless of how they do theirs. Um, which sometimes it's a challenge because we want to we want to fix everything that's not right. Um, but you know, so how do you, how do you fix the sexual revolution and rampant feminism that has you know kind of turned our world of men and women and marriage and family all upside down? Um, <laughs> you don't, but you you do what God has given you to do, and you recognize it, it, it as a beautiful thing understand what, what we are to do. Um, I think we maybe want to comment, you know, that calling, Sarah calling Abraham Lord is not like, yes, master, kind of. Um, but even again, like that, that, that term submission isn't, doesn't have that context of uh, we kind of import it into it, uh, uh, overlord sort of image, um, and also just even calling him Lord. Um, the term, curious, uh, in Greek, like we say, Kyrie eleison, Lord have mercy. The, the word just in Greek, as just in just about every language, kind of except English, um, it means like it, it has both the Lord God and Lord like Sir, Mister. It's a simple term of respect. Um, yeah, and it's not like, yes, sir, kind of like, like we, we import it into like the military. And we're like, you know, the, the, like calling him the commanding officer, but just there's a recognition of headship. It's simply with a, with a, a respectful term. Yeah. Uh, children of Sarah, who do good. Um, what about fear? What is that? So how does this whole thing, this attitude and this way of life, how does that mitigate fear for women? Um, it's kind of an interesting way of phrasing. He says, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Um, it's like a, a cognate accusative or a, a, is a, where you, you, you fear a great fear, you fear a fear. Um, it's like this, but the, the, the two words are the same. Or they're different. You have the word fear, but then he uses a different word for, for this thing. 
um, so it's not quite that. What does it mean? Uh, the NIV has like, do not give way to fear. It uses. Um, what kind of fear might this mitigate? That women might be particular to women. I don't. I don't know that I could presume to know like what the typical fears. Since I don't, I don't need necessarily examples. Or, but maybe if you think of that common fears that women have that living in this way um, and, and you do good. Do you suppose that a, an attitude of something less than sub, being subject to would be done out of fear? Um, see, you can't I think that the kind of relationship of a husband to, or a wife to her husband assumes a trust in him that if, you know, so she shows she won't listen to, you know, or respect him because she's afraid that he's not going to reciprocate or something like that, perhaps. I'm not. If you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. I think there's a there's there's something in this in this being submitting to and entrusting herself to him that if she if she doesn't she's got she you know, what does she have to fall back on it would be fear perhaps um, and that's the relationship then it's one of uh, of it's um, this kind of suspicion about what the other person's going to do to me. Instead of living confidently under the care of someone else, seems to have something. Next, now we turns to husbands, and it's a shorter section. Uh, doesn't have as as much, but so uh, likewise, husbands. So again, he has this likewise in the same way. Like so, there's a similarity between the way that. Um, than wives to their husbands. Uh, there, there is a likewise, but he's not going to use the same word. They are not the same. And we don't, we don't, it's not a reciprocal sort of thing. One does this to the other and the other does the same to, to them. Nowhere in the scripture does it, does it address men and women that way. You know, um, when, when we talk about husbands and wives, it's never, you know, you've got husbands, love your wives, wives, respect. It's a different they have a different thing. But it is likewise. There, there is a kind of, it, it's towards each other. And they were, they were talking about in relationship to each other. Uh, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Um, what does it mean for husbands to live with their wives? Like, maybe this seems obvious, or like, what, what is, does it mean that they share an ad, a mailing address? Or is that, is that the extent of it? That they sleep under the same roof? That they sleep in the same bed? What's the... Does it tolerate? Put up with? <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Well, I, 
Yeah, so, so what I think we get that there's more to it than just cohabitating, right? That is a thing, and, and, but even that, even what does it mean to live with them? So there's, there's a life to be lived. This is, I think, I, I, I think there's, there's a lot in this. There's a life to be lived. You talk about spending your life with someone, which may not be your, well, for no one, it's not your whole life. You have your childhood or you have times, you know, someone's widowed or there's, but while you are together, you are living together. What does it mean to live? Um, that it's not just that you're both breathing. That there's a thing about living with someone that has a shared existence. Um, that your livelihood, your living, is connected to their livelihood and living. Right? That you, you live together. Um, it's not only husbands and wives that are going to do that. Parents will do that with their children. All kinds of relationships may do that. But to live with people, uh, that came up when we were, uh, our book study, book club book that we were talking about was called Life Together. And, and we have to think about what does that mean? Now in that case it was like, 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 um, like seminarians living together in kind of almost like a monastic sort of setting where they were, you know, like, like in the school where they're in dorms and they live to, you know, they share their space, they share, there's, there's something to this of, for, especially for a husband and wife. They, they're, they're, they're relying on one another to live. Um, which is going to, you know, that, that whole idea like put up with, like to, 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 to live with something. I, I need to interact with it. Um, um, because it's going to talk about life later on, that's why I want to bring that up. To, to live with your wives. Uh, although, like, this is sort of a practical thing. How much time do you need to spend with someone to, in, in a day or in a week in order to say that you live with them? Again, is it enough to say, well, we share the same mailing address? Um, I, I just sort of wonder sometimes if some of the people who we say live together don't actually live together. They live with other people. They sleep in the same house, but they don't actually live with the people that they sleep in the same house with. And I just think that that probably changes the relationship. And we should just consider that like in how our lives are. Um, sometimes those are necessities. You know, like a husband that goes off to war or something like that, right? In a sense, he's not living with his wife at that point. But for the sake of caring for the home, he has to go away or something like that. But husbands live with your wives. <laughs> Which is, it's like, it's all, for a husband, for a man to say, what's my first responsibility? Live with her. Which again doesn't mean just share the address. It means my being is wrapped up in her being. We live together. We have a shared existence that we're going we're gonna to undertake and we're going to do this together. Live with. Uh, in an understanding way, according to knowledge, uh, it says, so what's the knowledge? And I think, I think that, that gets revealed in this next phrase. So live with your wives in an understanding way, some, according to something that you understand about her, and you show honor to the woman or to the wife as the weaker vessel. Um, the word vessel here is, um, it's kind of a word for just like thing or equipment. It's used for a lot of different things, um, but a lot of times for a body, um, but also for a, yeah, just a, yeah, like a, 
equipment or, or a, a vessel, like that's what it's translated as, like a, a container for something. Um, yeah, a lot of times, probably here, the, the main thought is the physical, the body, um, and weaker. Not weaker, so weaker here is it's just the word weaker, but that, that does not include, we might consider it being, well, because if you say someone's weak, you think that's a derogatory sort of thing, but it doesn't mean that necessarily, right? Um, some things are weaker so that other things, they, they, they need to be weaker in order to work together. I don't know, I don't know why it came to my mind when I was trying to think of an example from, you had an example from another book that said something, I don't remember what it was, but something being... Yeah, like, would it use a, a china cream pitcher to make pickles? That's what it's made for. It's a stronger vessel. So it can do different things. But you probably um, treat the china cream pitcher more carefully because it's more special. Because you can't do everything. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm trying to like, like that, that's probably a pretty good one. Like it has a particular use in it. The fact that it's weaker doesn't make it less any less of anything because it's used for something that doesn't... It, that's, that's what it's used for. It's not used to, to make pickles and so it needs to be strong, whatever. I, my, my thought of it was with metal and thought of like a shear bolt. Like, it's, it's purposely made weaker so that it not, that, that doesn't really translate here to this. That it, it's supposed to be able to be broken. So that, um, but it doesn't make it less important, right? In fact, its weakness in that case is that's by, by order and design. Uh, but this is God's design too. He did not make, I mean, so if we talk about just physical strength, brute strength, the average male is stronger than the average female. This is a, I mean, controversial topic, but not like we're not stating anything, you know, crazy, right? Right? We all recognize that? That in no way makes, like that, that is not a down, that's not a defect in women at all. I mean, that, that's part of the design for, like, but it's not like what well, God was, like, punishing them to make them, like, with, like, different bone structure and smaller hearts. Like, it, it's for a, an order. And just and so just as you have the weaker, so I didn't know someone would say, like, well, criticize Peter for calling um, the woman a vessel, like she's just a thing. Well, he, if she's the weaker vessel, he's the stronger vessel. They're both vessels. They're both, they're both made, they're both made for a purpose, and the, the weaker one is made for the stronger one, and the stronger one is made for the weaker one. They are made to go together and work together. Um, and that, as a result of that, what, what is the result? It's that you would show honor to, to her. Yeah. Um, the, 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 the weaker one uh, is, that, that gives, it gives him, and he understands this, it's an understanding way that he lives this way, knowing this and recognizing the difference and that this is a, it's, it's, not, a, it's not a defect in her. This is a, this is, this is a huge thing for, for all men and women to realize that the, the differences between the, and the other, I would go through this in catechism class and I'm gonna explain to the guy, boys, <laughs> I know the girls are weird. But that's a good thing. <laughs> girls, you know, those things that do that, that, that yes, they're weird. Boys are whatever. They're gross and they're um, smelly. And, 
but like this this is our this is kind of our task um, as 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 humans and hearing the word of God is to realize that this is given the differences were actually on purpose somehow and sometimes the, some are easier to, to recognize than others but um, and then there that sins why showing honor to them since they are heirs with you of the grace of life and that question on put on there is what's the life that he's talking about it's his grace of life and um, I think the first the most common explanation for that is what this is saying is that they're, they're Christians with you. That, that they're, we are heirs together of the grace of life. That you and men and women are both heirs of eternal life in Jesus. That we both receive that. I wonder if there might be something a little bit more than that. Which is crazy to, to say that there's something more than that you share together in eternal life. But I think this grace of life, I mean this, the, the word grace can also mean gift. The gift of life. When we talk about the gift of life, we talk about like the kind of fruitfulness. And where does that? Where where does God give that through the the means of husband and wife? And so I wonder too if if part of this is that, that you you are inheritors of something that God created that graciously gives life. That this this thing that between a husband and wife is this 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 amazing order that God has put together. So that life would come not by our own works, even though we, we participate in this, but it is, it is by grace too. So our physical life is by grace as well. And that God gives us in this husband and wife thing to live together, to, to kind of participate in his own creating work and his gracious creative work, right? Our life is a gift of God. But God allows us to participate in that giving and sharing of the life both between a husband and wife and both from parents to their children, that whole nurturing of one another. There's this tremendous gift and to say that this woman, um, weaker than you perhaps, but you together and only together get to participate in this. And then on top of it, on top of it, it's the kind of the, 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 the that this life does not, is not just for here. It's not just in the stuff of life, in the eating, in the and the you know the, the the stuff of this life, but it's even it's even more than that because then he says so that so that you recognize this and show honor to them so that your prayers may not be hindered. What is part of this living together? Um, all the things of this life, but also the things of of the next. That that part of this participating with each other is that we would like our prayers for one another with one another, that they would be hindered if we don't recognize this. Just, I think, a beautiful description, and I think more than just simply, well, yay, we're both Christians. That's, that's wonderful. But that it's, it's a very deep thing that God has given, and he's created it and crafted it in this order. Um, I think we, I think that's it. Um, we'll be talking more about that, God's order for this uh, tonight, when we're talking about the second table of the law at our, our uh, catechism review. Shall we close with the doxology?